0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Anna Marsh, a trauma-informed functional medicine nutritionist and chronic fatigue survivor. So today I wanted to talk about where to begin or a high-level view of fatigue recovery. Fatigue recovery is multifaceted. You can do a lot of research, read a lot of things, and it can become very overwhelming very quickly to know what you need to be working on and more importantly, what order and how to approach it. So Albert Einstein said that the definition of genius is taking the complex and making it simple. And I'm definitely not going to hold my hand up and call myself a genius, but I would like to simplify this fatigue recovery journey for you by giving you a framework um, or at least an idea of some sort of roadmap that you can follow on your fatigue recovery journey. What I'll share with you today is essentially the framework that I use when I'm working with my one-on-one clients. So it's this sort of big map that I have in my head and when I'm taking a client history, when I'm conversing with my clients, I'm filtering the information that I'm gathering from them through this lens and then from here making decisions about where we begin, what we do, how we structure things, how we order things, what tests to take, what supplements to take and all those other parts of fatigue recovery. I'm definitely a big picture thinker, that's my strength and I think that works really well in functional medicine and working with these chronic and complex cases because I can see the big picture and sometimes that's much more helpful than getting zoned in on the teeny tiny little details. So I tend to work from the outside in, in the sense that I tend to deal with what I call the big rocks first and then as we work on each rock, one at a time we can get a little bit more granular on what the specifics of those rocks um, actually are So this is a five-step process which makes it sound super simple and super easy but in reality we all know that recovering from a chronic and complex health condition, chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or burnout is anything but simple and easy. But I'm just going to break it down into this five-step process for the purposes of simplifying it for you and for making it easier to communicate. So the stage one of your fatigue recovery journey is really revolving around removing anything that is threatening the system, anything that's triggering the system and creating a relative sense of safety. And I use the word relative because it's very hard in this day and age for us to always feel 100% safe. There's so much complexity in everyone's lives, but we just want the body to feel relatively safer than it did before so that some of the interventions, some of the processes can really land in the body. And this is where there's both an art and a science to healing the science is all the technical details which i'm obviously very well versed in but then there's the art as well which is just knowing how much is enough for this person's body how quickly can we move or do we need to be more gentle does this person need more internal resourcefulness and how do we build that as we work together over time so and In terms of removing the threat and creating a relative sense of safety, in my previous episode, I talked about the cell danger response in a lot of detail. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, it should be the one just before this one. You can go back and have a listen there, and I'll go into the cell danger response in a lot more detail in that episode. But for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to just touch on it very briefly, which is to say that the cell danger response is the ancient intelligence of the cell it is the body's universal response to threat and it's actually the mitochondria which are yes energy producing organelles but also danger sensing organelles that may sense danger in the environment and they create a series of biochemical changes in the body which can shut down energy production as a self-protective mechanism against threat Helpful in the short term, but not beneficial if we get stuck there long term. So the first stage of fatigue recovery, this removing the threat and creating a relative sense of safety is kind of thinking about the cell danger response and is there something big which is threatening or triggering the system? And for the most part, that could be a toxin, you know, mold, mycotoxins, environmental toxins, heavy metals, for example. It could be some sort of infection, like a viral infection a fungal infection a bacterial infection a parasitic infection some sort of infection which is continuously triggering the system and in a future podcast i'll go into a little bit more detail and possible things to explore there Or in some cases with some clients, um, especially those who are more just burnt out, it can be a chronic stress or a trauma which has caused a massive disturbance of the nervous system and therefore there is a sense of threat in the body even though the event has, has been and gone, the body can still feel like it's stuck in time. So, if there are any of these threats present, then the first step is to really begin to reduce, remove, alleviate them so that the body feels relatively safe to move forwards. And here, this is where I'll say, you know, a lot of people, not always with chronic fatigue syndrome and burnout, tend to be very A-type personalities. And this was definitely the case in my own healing adventure, was that I threw my inner achiever to project manage my healing journey. And therefore, it was very easy just to want to do everything all at once, do all the tests, take all the supplements, do the fasting, you know, all the different things possible things that one could do while still kind of clinging on to my old life a little bit and maybe not fully letting go of some of the things I should have let go of at the time and it was actually just too much I wasn't creating a healing routine and It's totally understandable because usually people arrive in a state of poor health with a dysregulated nervous system, whether that is nervous system dysregulation from a trauma or chronic stresses or just the natural dysregulation in the system that happens when we have an infection or a toxin exposure. So, from a place of dysregulation, it's really hard to be grounded and have patience and slow your life down and do all the things that you need to do to ease yourself into healing. It's just not the place we come at this from when we're unwell, or at least very few people can come at this, um, come at their recovery from a very grounded, centered space, at least in the beginning part of the healing journey is actually finding that groundedness and centeredness inside of you and then building routines in your life that support that so that is part of the stage one is starting to think about what really allows you to feel grounded and resourceful and the pace at which you need to live your life so that you can create space for your healing So, this idea of stage one, removing the threat, creating a relative sense of safety, it's obviously identifying those more technical triggers that need to be removed, but it's also thinking about what resources you, what resources your system, what gives you the space and the time to slow down and create an opportunity in your life for healing. And then at this stage as well, we may want to think about supporting the nervous system. As a somatic experiencing practitioner, my favorite approach is to use somatics, but there's lots of approaches people can use. You can do restorative yoga or yin yoga or meditation or breath work or the various brain retraining programs. I've done all of those things, and I think they all help in their own way. My absolute favorites or my go-to favorites have been yin yoga time in nature and then somatic work so once the body feels relatively safer now it's time for some other things to land there's a little bit more openness in the stem in the body for us to get traction on some other areas which may need to be addressed And this will be unique for each person. Some people need to focus more on certain areas than others. But this is where we start to address um, secondary imbalances and more complex biochemistry. So this is your step two. And here we're looking first and foremost, or at least I'm looking first and foremost, at the low-hanging fruit. And the low-hanging fruit is where we're just thinking about what are the easy things that we can start to rebalance. And for the most part, that's blood sugar for a lot of clients and how their diet is impacting their blood sugar. I will do an episode specifically on these areas, but for now, just know that, you know, blood sugar highs and lows throughout the day are going to affect the nervous system, stress hormones, sex hormones, and then energy availability in the cell for energy. So we really want blood sugar to be nice and stable and at an appropriate level. And if it's not, that's low-hanging fruit we really want to address. Then the other thing I'm considering is digestive health. We want the gut to be functioning really well and what is required to do that. There can be a lot of benefits just from cleaning up the diet to support better blood sugar control and then digestion benefits as well. But in some cases, we may need to use stool testing and then go a little bit more deeper into some specific things that may need to be addressed for that person. And then also, in addition to that, thinking about oxygenation. So this is where I really like to take a full blood count and a ferritin count and um, an iron panel and then get an assessment over... Is someone um, making healthy red blood cells and are they getting oxygen to their cells to make energy? And how are they breathing? Are they a mouth breather or do they breathe through their nose? Are they moving their body and allowing that oxygen to get to all the tissues? So, those are things we would look at in oxygenation. Um, And those would be the basic things in addition to sleep and rest, which I haven't mentioned specifically here because I feel that's actually more part of the healing routine, making sure. Someone is sleeping well obviously if sleep is a challenge there may be more investigations which come later and making sure someone is actually resting because we can think that we're resting on paper but when we check in with the body the body is not physically in a state of rest and so These low-hanging fruit things that I've mentioned here, the blood sugar, oxygenation, digestive health, sleep and rest, and then also actually looking at um, reducing inflammation, these are all in my High Achiever Revival program. So they form part of the membership site. So that's always an option which is available if you're looking for more support in starting to work on the nervous system and work on some of this low-hanging fruit and have the support while you do it. The High Achiever Revival Program could be a good option for you. Then we get into step 2B, which is about addressing more complex biochemistry. So when I say more complex biochemistry, what I'm referring to here is the detox pathways, the mitochondria, your sex hormones, maybe your stress hormones, cortisol, for example. Maybe we need to also give some support to nutrition. Maybe there have been some nutritional imbalances created from high stress and poor digestive health. And maybe the body needs more support around managing inflammation or methylation So this is where we've cleared the white noise, we've supported the nervous system, we've got the body into a healing routine, we've removed or are addressing any major threats, we've got blood sugar stable, we know the body is oxygenating well, digestive health is improving, and now we're like, what else? What next? What are the additional tweaks that we need to go in? And this is where personalization is really important and where functional testing can be really beneficial to reveal the individual's unique weaknesses. In practice, I obviously get to see a lot of tests from all different clients, but you know, you can have Clients with chronic fatigue syndrome which has been diagnosed or clients just experiencing fatigue, there's a lot of commonalities and there can also be some unique individual differences and therefore every support plan I create for my clients can be a little bit different based on what they have going on in their body but also in their lives. So this is where we can use functional testing to dig a little bit deeper under the hood, find out what's really going on, personalized diets, personalized lifestyle, and personalized supplements. And then all being well, the body's capacity is improving. The person is feeling more energized. They're able to do more. They're noticing that they have more resilience and resourcefulness in their life. And that inevitably brings us to step three. And so step three is what I call the neural reprogramming piece. And the reason why I mentioned this here is because when someone starts to feel better and they start to have more energy and they start to feel more well, it can be very tempting for them to direct that energy and wellness towards the patterns that made them unwell in the past. And so here I'll break this down a little bit more for you and say very often there are personality traits that many people with fatigue experience. Most people don't have all of them. Some people may not have any of them, but there is usually a combination of several so these patterns or tendencies might be a tendency towards perfectionism, towards people-pleasing, maybe always needing to be in control, um, maybe over-giving, over-helping, getting a sense of self-worth through helping others or through one's achievements. So unless we address what is going on below the surface – It's very normal for someone, as soon as they start to feel better, they just go back to doing whatever they were doing before, and then it might only be a matter of time until they experience a relapse or a setback. And just being completely transparent with you is that I think it's a little bit of both. We often do start to make changes in these areas, but we also have a tendency to maybe do a little bit more, do a little bit too much, realize it have a little bit of a setback, learn from the setback, and then take the next step forward. So progress is not linear. We don't manage to reprogram all of these personality traits overnight, but it's just important to understand what our tendencies are and begin to work with them and address them. And here I'll say is a lot of these personality traits develop or have developed over time in an attempt or as coping mechanisms to create a sense of safety so people feel safe when they're pleasing others people feel safe when they feel like things are in their control people feel safe maybe when they're achieving or when they're helping others so what we really want to do is give the body other ways to feel safe And this is where the nervous system self-care, where somatic work and somatic therapy can really help. Because as we change the set point of the nervous system and we build the window of tolerance and the nervous system's capacity to handle discomfort and stress... We can rely less and less on these personality traits. But when we don't have other tools and we don't have other coping mechanisms because we haven't taken the time to intentionally learn them, then we will inevitably just default back to our own old patterns and behaviors as soon as we have a little bit more energy to do so. So in terms of what this looks like, this could look like more um, nervous system work, somatic therapy. Um, It could look like brain retraining. It could also just look like NLP and coaching. Um, And all of that I offer to my clients and there's many programs available that offer that as well. So also just to say here that this isn't like a linear process, I'm talking about this as step one, step two, step three, but when I work with my clients, it's a little bit more intuitive, we'll add in the pieces that are needed as they're required, Um, so there's overlap between these stages or steps, and um, we might not always do them exactly in the order I'm describing, but generally speaking, this is the order. Then we have step four, which is building capacity and challenge. So now we're in a state where the body feels safe, we've removed the major threats, we've been addressing those secondary imbalances and the low hanging fruit, we're optimizing the unique biochemistry of the individual, and we're working on detox and mitochondria and sex hormones and adrenal hormones and all those things and the body is feeling well you're mindful of your personality traits you're conscious of finding new ways to cope and new ways to do things which are more in alignment with your healing and your goals and now it's time to just do more and here I'll say that I had a conversation once with one of my clients and she said to me I thought one day I would just wake up and feel really good and then I would be able to do the things I wanted to do. And actually, the reality of the situation is we just have small changes in energy over time. And this is generally speaking because it can be different for everyone. And as we experience those small changes in energy over time, we gradually challenge the body to do a little bit more and do a little bit more and do a little bit more. But as we're doing a little bit more and doing a little bit more, we're still kind of like surfing the edge of what is too much and what is too little, what is overstimulating us, what is understimulating us. And people will tend to have A preference for one or the other So some people are more over copers They have a tendency to do too much And some people are under copers They have a tendency to do too little and when we overcope and do too much, we overload the system, and there's not enough time for rest, recovery, and repair, and therefore there's a degeneration over time. But when we undercope, we don't necessarily experience the fullness of challenge and stimulus that is required to build capacity. So here it's about finding that delicate balance between doing too much and doing too little, and maybe knowing your coping style. Are you someone who tends to always take things a little bit too far? I'm definitely that person. Or are you someone who always tends to just actually be a little bit more constricted and protective and do too little because you you have a fear of a crash or a setback or doing too much? So. In the case of both of these, both overcopers and undercopers benefit from nervous system regulation, especially somatically for overcopers, when overcopers are more somatically connected in their body, they'll be able to sense sooner when they are pushing too far. And Sometimes we also push too far as coping mechanisms for our nervous system, just regulation. So a more regulated nervous system means that there's less over coping um, as a coping mechanism if that makes sense, not hopefully not too confusing. But undercopers maybe need to use nervous system work to feel safe to do a little bit more. And there we just need incremental challenges that feel like a stretch, but not a stress. And this could be across all different aspects of life. It could be doing a little bit more exercise, doing a little bit more mental work or you know your job or taking on a few more hours at work. It could be socializing more. One of my clients even said one of her goals was, I'm just going to practice sitting up more because she had got into the habit of lying down a lot to rest. And she realized, I probably don't need to be lying down as much as I am anymore. So I'm just going to practice still resting, but I'm going to rest sitting up. And that was her um, capacity building challenge for a month. She just said, I'm going to sit up more and I'm going to read books so I have the mental challenge and the the postural challenge of sitting up so it can be something as small as that or it can be bigger things like getting into cold water immersion or heat stress or fasting or um, hypoxia when we modulate oxygen availability so there's lots of different ways but essentially we want to safely Build the capacity of the system because that's how we get stronger. Any athlete will tell you that. If you want to run a marathon, you train for it by progressively overloading the body. If you want to lift really heavy weights, you train for it by progressively lifting heavier and heavier over time while also supporting the body and giving it the nourishment that it needs for rest and recovery. So this step is about finding that balance of how can I challenge myself in a way that still allows me to recover and make progress. And then we get to the final step. And the final step is preparing to be well. Because when you have been through such a big thing, with such a big recovery journey, there can be so much involved here. And sometimes even though well-being and just being able to do what we want without limits is the ultimate goal, that can feel really, really scary. There can still be a lot of constriction and fear in the body from the trauma of being unwell that maybe it can feel safe or it can feel unsafe, should I rather say, to fully embody your wellness. And this is where self-sabotage can creep in. Sometimes there are benefits to being unwell. Sometimes it's easier to set boundaries with people because you just say, oh, I don't, I don't have this condition and I can only do so much, therefore I can't attend this event or that event or whatever it might be. But sometimes when you have your full health and well-being, you may still not want to do those things. But now you just have to say no because you don't want to. You don't have your illness to fall back on. So that can be a benefit to staying unwell. And so self-sabotage is sneaky, but ultimately self-sabotage creeps in when we have what is known as a secondary gain. So there is a gain to staying where we are and a perceived loss to fully realizing our goal or our health or our well-being. And so this is where it can be really helpful to explore for yourself through some journaling or working with a practitioner but what do you need to do to fully realize your wellness? And just even jotting down, like, what am I afraid of? If I was to be well, what would I be afraid of? What would be hard for me? Why wouldn't I want it? And those are questions that we don't often take the time to explore, but can be really, really valuable. It can also be really valuable to set goals and ideals for what you want your new healthy life to look like. Because it doesn't have to look like your old life. It can look like something completely different. And there may be lessons and learnings that have happened from your recovery journey that you want to carry with you into your new, healthy and well life. And if we don't set those intentions and we don't really get clear on our boundaries and our wants and don't wants, it can be very easy to get sucked back into a life that we don't actually want. So just to recap, as we wrap up for today on those five stages or five steps, step one was remove the threats in the body and create a relative sense of safety, which involves creating a healing routine and supporting the nervous system we had step 2a and 2b which is addressing more complex biochemistry and addressing the low hanging fruit essentially the secondary imbalances which have been created from the body being in threat for so long then step three is that neural reprogramming work step four is building capacity with healthy challenges and step five is preparing to be well So I hope you have found that insightful and useful today. As always, if you found this episode useful or you know somebody who would enjoy listening to it, please feel free to share. And also don't forget to leave a review because your reviews help other people find this information and you can spread the love. So I will see you in the next episode. You have a wonderful fatigue recovery day.